This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 14th of November 2023 at home in Wicklow. And in it, I draw a connection between the current crisis, conflict in the Middle East and the travails of a lonely pop star. Yes, I am talking about what's happening in Israel and Palestine. And yes, I am talking about Robbie Williams. What could that connection be? What could that gurning pop star have in common with the state of Israel? Well, you know, keep listening and you'll find out. Um, so yeah, that's it. I mean, I, that's what's coming up. Um, if that doesn't pique your curiosity, nothing will. But yeah, it's got something to do with conflict. It's got something to do with damage. I think you know where I'm going with this. But keep listening to find out to find out more. I'll see you around the corner. Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream My name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. Thank you for choosing this podcast, this episode. It's nice to have you here and I hope you're going to enjoy the ride. (laughs) Ah, dear. So uh, another week, another week passes and fetch up in mid-November the year I mean six weeks left of the year is that fair is is it is it to say the year is drawing to a close um is that is that slightly dramatic it doesn't feel like it it's it certainly feels that way to me and um you know come back in two weeks and we're knocking into December and the Christmas, the Christmas madness, which has begun already, but which I am resisting, uh, much to the frustration and disappointment of my daughter, that will, that will take over and dominate all. I, I bumped into a friend the other day uh, on the street, and it was. Yeah, you know, just a nice kind of happenstance, a nice little, a nice little kind of, uh, yeah, serendipitous catch up and good to see her. Um, but she said something rather ominous, <laughs> which was, you know, that friends of hers in, um, I think the word she used was spiritual, kind of spiritual circles. What I took from that were maybe people who are wellness adjacent, healthy lifestyle advocates, maybe alternative medical practice advocates or practitioners, Um, you know, people who'd be trying to live their lives with a, a certain amount of, you know, integrity and um sensitivity and mindfulness etc and my friend said all those people are warning her 
that bad times are coming. And I just thought, uh-oh, alarm bell. I don't trust this. And not, you know, not my friend, I trust her. But I was like, what sort of a message is that? Like, let's batten down the hatches. Let's Let's prepare for some sort of onslaught now it wasn't the time to to push to push her on exactly what they were talking about but i just thought man if the if the hippies are saying bad times are coming <laughs> we're in trouble we're in trouble listen i'm a i'm a hippie in disguise um and i say well I was going to say everything's going to be grand. I don't think ever, I don't think everything is going to be grand. But I, I think basically, so much is about perspective. So much is about what we choose to see, and so much is about where we choose to put our energy. And if we choose to put our energy into doom scapes and doom prophecies um and okay what the hell i'll throw in conspiracy <laughs> various kind of conspiracy prognosticators into that as well i mean if we choose to put our energy into those places of course of course we're going to feel like everything is doomed um and just just because you choose not just because you might choose not to put your energy into those places that doesn't mean you're in denial that doesn't mean you've swung you know to the other side of the the pendulum's arc it just means you're being mindful about where you put your energy and i think that's really important i mean if we're if we're talking about our personal sense of personal well-being um we've got to be careful what we invite in and we've got to be careful where we where we establish strong connections um be careful about what we're allowing ourselves to be attracted to um i mean that's a question all of its own I mean, why Why do we find certain ideas or personalities or, you know, whatever it might be, why do we find them attractive? Why do we find certain practices attractive? What is it about them that draws us to them? Um, you know, sometimes it's, maybe not sometimes, maybe always, it, 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 it might be about a need um i mean i know a lot of my practice my personal practices are about a need for control a need for the illusion of control anyway um my attraction to you know a lot of my practices which revolve around sort of exercise and personal discipline that is it's definitely connected to my need to you know impose order on a chaotic world and to impose order on myself because it gives me a structure that 
allows me to feel safe. And that's pretty much why I do the things I do. Um, But that idea of what we're attracted to satisfying a need, um, you know, sometimes that might be an unspoken conviction that we already have. And we're looking for a valid a validation of that outside ourselves. Um, you know, maybe it's more organic than that. Um, maybe it has something very integral to our life experience, or you know, our you know whatever stage we've reached in life pitches us into this area. But I I was. I just found it very striking. I found it very striking what my friend said. Like it was a real, um, yeah, it was like, you know, pull me in closer. Tell me, tell me this, tell me this secret. Tell me this wisdom that's going to make me feel scared. And I'm, I was, you know, that's, that, that was the energy. That's what it felt like. And I, I was thinking to myself, I don't want this. This is not what I'm interested in. And I don't believe that that's going to, I don't believe investing in that area is going to make me feel particularly well. Um, So, yes. Today, there's no conclusion to that. There's no conclusion to that. (laughs) Were you waiting for it? Were you waiting for a conclusion? Um, I'll just reiterate what I said before. It's uh, think think about where you're sending your energy think about why you might be drawn to things that are making or you know that that may be making you feel more anxious they may be making you feel less secure about the world uh, in which we find ourselves um you know there's part of me that feels that this is this is just an aspect of the human condition um, and perhaps it's connected to I was going to say perhaps it's connected to age but my my, my sense is that you know, young people are having increased levels of anxiety themselves so that would that would work against the idea that it's age. Like I was going to say, as we get older, we get more concerned um, or we regard the world with greater seriousness um, and with greater fear, I suppose. Um, But again, my sort of larger arc in terms of how I view mental health and wellness and self-care is to I have a great belief in consciously consciously challenging that in in myself and consciously being alert to you know, to, to to sources of of positivity, to sources of um, 
strength, sources of reassurance, seeking, you know, things that may renew my faith that people aren't going to completely, you know, destroy this planet we live on. Um, and I feel at the moment with what's happening in, in the Middle East, there's an increased there's an increased level of anxiety and and concern um, and fear and dread and horror, frankly. Um, I, th- I think a lot of people are horrified by what they're seeing, um, you know, in, in, in Palestine. And there's a sense of sort of despair fury rage disgust and i can't help but think that if israel was a person it's going to find itself with very few friends on the other side of this this moment um and maybe it doesn't care and I I wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening um, in the Middle East today. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to, um, or I have no interest in going deep into, you know, into the, 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 you know, the the history of this conflict. Um, But there were just a couple of things this week that came across my path and it just got me thinking more about the the sort of psychological component of all of this and the the human psyche component of all of this and um there were a couple of things a couple of things that i came across in the last week that really confirmed some of my own beliefs um or my own suspicions my own instincts around i guess this sort of ultra zionism um and because because the people who were speaking were jewish themselves uh, one of whom was israeli it um for me it was a sort of a a validation um and it sort of you know legitimized their position um i mean i i I kind of hesitate to speak on things of which i know very little and of which i've had no experience directly um i leave that to sort of other people who have more authority um and credibility in those areas but i came across a, a clip of an israeli journalist his name is Gideon Levy and he was laying out um he was laying out a sort of an an argument for why in the Israeli mentality and you know the Israeli psyche there's such a um you know such a sort of a, a palpable presence of um 
superiority, I suppose, or entitlement, um, or self-justification. And, you know, basically what, you know, the, the two kind of main things that jumped out at me were, one, Israelis are basically the only sort of occupying force of a territory that were victims so obviously coming out of the second world war the holocaust and then waiting for the you know the the balfour agreement which ratified the the state of israel um that was the sort of you know the, the birthplace of all you know of this kind of 20th century into the 21st century conflict um but israelis have a mentality of you know we're the victims here um and they you know alongside that and this is again according to this journalist alongside that they you know view palestinians as 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 lesser um and they they've dehumanized palestinians um and therefore, that there's no sort of humanistic imperative to respect the rights of Palestinians, um, and it's it's just a it's just a lethal, a lethal combination. Um, and the second we get into that territory of of dehumanizing someone, it's. You know, the act of doing that dehumanizes the person who does it as well. Um, because my belief is the, you know, the only thing that kind of potentially redeems us as, you know, as, as human animals is our, our shared humanity. Of course, that's a that's a very particular term, isn't it? <laughs> because you, know, you could argue our shared humanity is everything that's wrong with humans as well all our venality and selfishness and destructiveness and immorality and amorality um brutality etc that's our shared humanity as well but when we use that phrase i don't think that's what we're thinking of we're thinking of something more compassionate more considerate more mutually um cognizant of of shared you know fundamental shared values um which is probably an understanding of it's probably an understanding of you know principles connected to you know to community family love uh, ritual um you know you know fear um you know the celebration of identity um you know and, and culture and history um and i i i i always think an understanding of the journey of of surviving through life 
like a very existential recognition that you know life is a bumpy path um like i think that's that's a connecting experience but when we lose sight of that when we lose sight of the the travails of the individual and i mean i spoke about this um a couple of months ago i think about the whole idea of when we treat others in a monolithic way we we rob them of their individuality we rob them of their you know their more nuanced complex identity we rob them of their personality um and reduce them to a set of assumptions and that of course in itself is a is a a dehumanizing act and i i've no time for that um i mean except for hipsters and real estate agents um they can (laughs) i i better speak carefully lest i i start a, a hate campaign um but you know it, it, it's the, the the sort of st- I, 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 i'm not sure what the word is I'm, I'm looking for here but we we only save our our, our keep safe maintain our humanity by recognizing the humanity of others I really think it's as it's as simple as that and I think you know a few weeks ago when this latest conflict started after the, the terrorist attacks um in in Israel I didn't say much about it and I, all I said was I sort of I, I kind of said like I I've never I feel like I've never not understood where the Israelis are coming from um because it's it, it you know it's the great wound um it's the great wound of the you know the second world war the the final solution the holocaust the concentration camps um and that the the terrible things that were done while the rest of the world looked away or chose to believe that it wasn't happening um I, you know I, I never lose my sense of awareness of that as a starting point just to understand it to rationalize it and go okay so um no one is ever going to be more of a victim um than the you know the jewish race if they if, you know if, if that's not too crude a term um you know speaking of you know speaking of people in a monolithic way um but it's it you know it it doesn't justify everything that's happened since and i think like that's how i view what's happening 
in you know you know in the in the Middle East and it's how I view is Israel's response. I think they are dehumanizing themselves when they shut themselves off from from empathy from compassion and they lose their own humanity in in what is now becoming I think in very unequivocal terms a genocide uh in Palestine um and it's it, it's it's absolutely disgusting and it's you know it's going to be to Israel's you know eternal shame that you know they are doing to others what was done to them i mean it's it's i don't i don't think that's a i don't think that's a clumsy comparison um and others have expressed that far more articulately and eloquently than i just have and one of those people was a british mp a labor mp called gerald Kaufman, 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 K-A-U-F-M-A-N. Um, he died in 2017. He was a Labour MP in England, and he was an English, uh, an English Jew of Polish parentage. And there is a clip um, that you can find online um, where he speaks for five minutes. Um, in very unambiguous terms and is utterly condemnatory of Israel's actions um, in Palestine and you know Gaza, the West Bank. Um, and it's it's well worth seeking out um, if you can find it. I'm not sure when it was. I guess it was towards the end of his political career. He died when he was 86, as I said, in 2017. But he speaks about his own sort of Jewish bona fides, if you like, um, and his, you know, his relationship with different Israeli prime ministers and political figures down through history, um, and his connection to his, you know, citizens of Israel. Um, but he he said something that I hadn't heard expressed as um, as kind of starkly before which was fundamentally that uh, Israel has exploited or capitalized on the kind of the guilt of Gentiles over the Holocaust. And the implication was that, you know, Israel were kind of getting a free pass and that non-Jewish people were willing to kind of go, oh, well, look what, you know, look at that terrible, terrible historical event that happened to them. Um you know, we'll just stay quiet, I suppose. So I just found those two speakers, Gideon uh, Gideon Levy, um, who was speaking at a kind of oh, national, oh, national press association, that's what it was, um, laying out, like, this is why the Israeli mindset isn't going to change, because these are the fundamental positions that are, absolutely hardwired in the Israeli mentality uh, so between him and then Gerald Kaufman's uh, five minute breakdown of the sort of immorality of Israeli occupation and uh, aggressive occupation of you know of, of, of territory in 
you know, in, you know, in Israel, in Palestinian territory. Um, it, it, you know, it's, I, I, I personally find it very inspiring. I find it very inspiring, very moving. And I just believe that they're right. And that's it. I just kind of go, yeah, I, this is correct. <laughs> their assessment, their, how they're describing things, it just seems to make sense to me. Um, and it's purely a criticism of the Israeli state as opposed to, and I spoke with this the other week, as opposed to a criticism of Jewish people or a rejection of Judaism or Jew, you know, of Jewish people, Jewish faith, Jewish culture. Like none of those things are in the mix. And um, it's, yeah, it's um, more people, I think, need to be saying that. And, you know, I'm, I'm very relieved that Ireland has maintained its position of being quite outspoken in this area historically and a supporter of Palestine historically. And they're continuing to do so. Ireland is continuing to do so. And um, I think there is great sort of moral credibility in that position. And the opposite of moral credibility um, when that position isn't, isn't there, when this sort of hedging, prevaricating, equivocating stance is there. And in fact, another great clip I saw this week online, you may have seen it yourself, was from the um, Irish member of European Parliament, Claire Daly, who absolutely lambasted Ursula van der Leyen um, in the EU um, and just, yeah, the, the, the expression that comes to mind is uh, tore her a new one. <laughs> And just launched into her and said she had blood on her hands for the position she took the second the terrorist attack happened to align herself with Israel. Um, and that basically said, yeah, you've got blood on your hands. The blood of Palestinian children is on your hands. Um, and her, her parting comment was, the Hague isn't good enough for you. Was that what it was? The Hague's too good for you. Sorry. The Hague is too good for you. Um, and just blisteringly um, indignant, righteous, uh, you know, a blisteringly indignant and righteous takedown of Ursula van der Leyen. And I thought, yeah, again, I've got I've nothing but sympathy for this position. I think you're absolutely right. I was astonished when Ursula van der Leyen of the, of the EU took that position immediately, it felt, I, I, I just, I was asking myself if there was a precedent for that. It just felt so um, wrong-headed and politically provocative and seemed to me to demonstrate a complete lack of care or understanding for the the volatility of the the the, you know, the historical relationship between Israel and Palestine, um, and for her to just be like, oh yeah, well we're all with Israel. It's like what? 
you can't you can't do that you can't do that in that position representing the member states of the eu um anyway but look sorry i didn't mean to spend so long on that do go and seek out those clips if you're interested at all um but here's the thing right i'm gonna gonna draw a very bizarre connection it may seem bizarre to you not to me otherwise i wouldn't be making it did you see (laughs) did you did you see have you watched or have you come across the robbie williams documentary on netflix um because i'm seeing a connection between robbie williams and this conflict in the middle east and the israeli mindset and basically okay i don't know why you wouldn't know who robbie williams is if you're if you're listening to this but robbie williams is uh, a singer musician entertainer who was in the english boy band take that who were at the peak of their powers in the in the 90s and robbie williams famously got kicked out of or left that boy band and went on to have a stratospheric solo career um through the sort of late late 90s early 2000s it was probably his apex and um that's kind of 20 years ago and anyway there's a documentary out um on netflix and funny enough like this comes hot on the heels of the david beckham documentary a few weeks ago another sort of iconic english 90s you know figure um and you know both of those documentaries are quite um is it hagiographic how do you you pronounce that (laughs) i feel like every other episode i'm going how do you pronounce that they're both very sort of pro their subjects let's put it that way now i started watching the robbie williams documentary and just thought okay grant i'll 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 have a look at this i i you know i've no history with robbie williams i've no history with boy bands in general um so i mean i couldn't even tell you i I wouldn't even be able to name you uh take that song um i remember the youngest brother of good friends of mine used to gleefully play the music of westlife who were the the second big boy band to emerge in ireland after after boy zone um and again i'm not sure i could name a single song by either of those bands but this youngest brother of these friends of mine i'd, I'd be spending time in my sort of mid-twenties I was kind of spending time at their house quite a bit the family home I'd share share a room with the youngest brother who would have been late teens had he, I'm not even sure if had he left school at that stage but he'd be like deliriously uh, you know grinning as he played Westlife and he just seemed to be in on the joke that this is kind of ridiculous that I'm listening to this boy band you know talking about himself but his enjoyment only increased when he saw how 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 much I was not enjoying the experience. Um, 
But anyway, that's a, that's just an aside. So what I, what I remember was like Robbie Williams had the you know I just thought oh yeah like he's he's got these kind of great pop songs and he's got this sort of leering gurning swagger that I. I don't know. I I found it. I remember at the time. Just kind of, I found I found it kind of hard to take my eyes off him. Like you know, like he was kind of freakishly um, pugnacious and obnoxious, um, and yet kind of attractive within it. Like he was sort of in on the joke. Like this is absurd, but I'm just going to be so in your face. Um, and the songs were good, I thought. Uh, no, I never bought an album. Um, but, and, and that was it. And then, I don't know, Robbie Williams kind of went away. <laughs> but so I, I kind of sat down to watch this documentary series the other night. And I was like, oh, this, this might be okay. This might be sort of interesting to see what is, you know, where he's at now. And, you know, I, I go into these things in good faith, thinking, huh. You know, these guys are roughly my age and have had, you know, enormous success. Um, you know, I wonder where they're at on their journey. I wonder what, like, what revelations they have to share. Um, and I give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, I was, I was predisposed to liking Beckham for some reason. I wasn't a Man United fan, um, but I got... I kind of liked him. Every time I saw him, like, interviewed, I, I always felt he came across quite well. And I found, I, I always felt he was quite genuine. So, again, with Robbie Williams, I didn't even have that. But I, I was curious. I was curious. And there, there was a kind of a turning point in the documentary series. I think in the third episode where I just felt uh, this isn't um, this isn't going to be what I, I, I hoped it might be and sure enough as the documentary series went on I just got more kind of confirmation of that um, and so ultimately it wasn't that I didn't find it that satisfying or that interesting and yet there is something interesting to take away from it. So fundamentally what I'm talking about is Robbie Williams has, you know, a, a sort of a, a poor me story. Like he was the youngest member of the boy band. He had a lot of issues. The The fame came fast and hard and huge. And he, you know, was coping with, you know, drugs and drink. And then he got clean. Um... And then he had, you know, relapse later in his career when he was, um, you know, solo and just being overwhelmed by the pressure. Um, but he had, he had a, you know, he had a great sort of colleague and partner and songwriting partner, uh, I think producer, who was, you know, with whom he was kind of really tight, a guy called Guy Chambers. And I mean, I remember that at the time going, oh yeah, this isn't just Robbie Williams, this is Guy Chambers as well. And Guy Chambers in this documentary 
Um, there's no interview with him. And the, 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 basically, the format of the documentary is Robbie Williams in his very nice house, you know, in, in the States, I guess, L.A. or someplace. Um, Robbie Williams being shown all this footage from his career and his life. You know, a lot of footage that was taken by Guy Chambers when they were recording or on holidays. Um, other footage from TV and interviews and performances. And it's footage that, you know, according to the documentary makers, Robbie Williams hasn't seen. So it's basically Robbie Williams looking at a, a video diary of his life um, and, you know, watching himself grow up on, you know, someone's personal camera, camcorder, whatever. Um, and in the public eye and you know you're basically looking at somebody sort of getting to see themselves at various stages of you know maturity immaturity various stages of personal crisis stages of great success stages of uh, addiction and alcoholism um, you know stages of kind of you know mania personal chaos um and watching robbie williams watch himself you kind of can you know i felt his own you know his pain was quite palpable at times and his own sense of of past suffering was very palpable and his sort of his empathy for himself was quite palpable which I thought was quite nice um, but I kept waiting for him to sort of express something insightful or reflective and he, he never really did you know he's kind of quite glib about a lot of it. And if he wasn't being glib, he was just being a little bit, you know, he's been kind of quite morose. Um, but there came a point in the, you know, in his in his life where he decided, no, this is, this isn't about me enough. I need to go out on my own, truly on my own, because Guy Chambers gets, it's kind of, you know, I guess getting too much credit. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be my take on it. And so this, great friendship ends when Robbie Williams says I'm going on without you and we never see Guy Chambers again and Guy Chambers in the footage comes across really well he comes across very sort of grounded normal very musical very talented um, and you know it, it seemed clear from the footage that this was a really important person to Robbie Williams and that the, the friendship, the bond, the brotherhood was really, really authentic and true and important. Um, and Robbie Williams says how he just said, you know, we're done. And he, he I think he said that guy Chambers just melted. Um, and then he just kind of moves on and he's like, yeah, no, there's nothing there now. And I was like, what? I don't believe this. <laughs> I don't believe it. Um, and another person who came out well in the footage, totally unexpectedly, was Jerry Halliwell. Unexpected to me. I, I don't know anything about Jerry Halliwell other than she was uh, a Spice Girl 
uh, you know, again, the, the kind of the definitive girl group from the 90s in England and part of that sort of cool Britannia, that mid-90s explosion of British confidence that coincided with um, it coincided with the, the arrival of New Labour and Tony Blair and Britpop, the great rivalry between Oasis and Blur, um, the, the, the Euros, the European kind of soccer competition in 96, you know, and I was in England at the time. That's why I went over to England in 96 to begin my acting training. I was there for a couple of years training and yeah, like times were good and the English were really feeling themselves. <laughs> you know, and, you know, the Spice Girls were really at the, you know, at the heart of the zeitgeist with these other those other things I mentioned and uh, Jerry Halliwell also known as Ginger Spice she was one of the uh, the five members of that group but she and Robbie Williams had a, a you know a scene a relationship um, and that features prominently I think in the second episode of the documentary series and yeah I, I, I couldn't get over sort of how how well she came across and again, these are this is archive footage. She she's not interviewed. No one's interviewed for the whole thing, and that is, yeah, kind of strange. Um, but what you see in the footage, she just seemed really, I don't know, comfortable in her own skin. Maybe she wasn't, but that's the impression I got. I just thought she said, "Oh, she just seems really nice," <laughs> and Robbie Williams seems insecure and manic um, and kind of desperate. Uh, and it's, you know, it's sad. But the, you know, ultimately, when that moment came in, the do- in this, in the in the documentary where he's like, yeah, Guy Chambers is kind of dead to me. Like, that was the vibe. And I thought, what the hell is this? And then, you know, he gets, he gets to go back and be with Take That. Um, you know, the kind of the remounted Take That, you know, second bite at the, 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 the once you get a second bite of the cherry, the apple. <laughs> um, and that was fine. And he sort of refound his mojo with Take That, having had a three-year layoff. And then Take That gave him the confidence to go back and, you know, be a solo artist again and, you know, continue to have, you know, big sellout performances and all the rest. Um, but... Yeah, and then sorry, and then he you know he meets his wife in America, and then they've got a few kids, and that's all great, and that seems you know he seems very happy with all of that. But at the end of the whole thing, you're kind of coming away going, I don't know if Robbie Williams has empathy for anybody else. Like there was no outward generosity about anybody else. He didn't seem to have any love kind of going outwards towards anybody else apart from his wife and his kids, which is fine. And there was the one moment in the whole thing that made me kind of tear up a little bit was towards the very end of the documentary he has to leave the family because he's going on tour and his daughter who's probably similar age to my daughter is just weeping as she's hugging him goodbye and I was very moved by that because I felt his connection with her seemed very real and nice and lovely um, and I just thought well that's it Like he just wants he's just like a family guy and he wants to be there with his wife and kids and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever I mean, I admire that. I value that. That that's close to you know, you know, it's one of the most important things in my own life. But I kind of came away from it going, 
this is a guy who didn't once refer to his family, who didn't once talk about his mother and father, who didn't once talk about why he was so chaotic as a young man, who didn't once talk about the, you know, where he came from. Um, he never really tried to explain anything. He, you know, he spoke about the pressure of fame, um, and he spoke about the, you know, the, the paparazzi. And that featured heavily in the David Beckham documentary as well. Um, and all of that was kind of just the circumstances of fame. And then the the kind of the, I suppose, in, you know, the imposter syndrome that went with that. And then the lack of love he felt from British media and newspapers and tabloids who just went after him relentlessly, uh, which seemed to be the... You know the nature of how British tabloids operated. Um, they just were really mercenary and kind of vile. Um, so I had, I had sympathy for all of that. But by the end of the by the end of that sh- the, the documentary, I found myself just kind of going, "I'm not sure he's that likable." And again, not a crime. <laughs> You're allowed to not be likable, but the you know the 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 impression was of someone who's just completely completely self-involved um and no one can feel sorrier for Robbie Williams than Robbie Williams um and i i've no issue with Robbie Williams having demons i've no issue with Robbie Williams having mental health issues i have sympathy for that um but it's i suppose my conclusion was that this is this is just damage personified and this is unresolved it's unresolved stuff he's found a safe place and he's found a safe mode of behavior and he's found a relationship in which he feels safe and all of that is is brilliant um and yeah and good luck to him um but that's somebody and here i'm going to bring it back to the middle east and israel that's somebody who can't escape the originating wound and can't even articulate it and didn't um and has basically just pushed people away um that you know that's the impression i got from the documentary i mean you know watch it yourself and see what you think but I just felt like, all right, yeah, there's, you know, there's nobody else here. Um, he has no sort of sustained, by the looks of it, there's no sustained kind of nourished, nurturing relationships in his life. Um, and there doesn't seem to be much, he doesn't seem to have a relationship with the kind of the collateral damage of that or much care. Um, there seems to be an absence of empathy Um, and again another clip I saw this week was of the Israeli ambassador in England being interviewed on Channel 4 Uh, I think it was Channel 4 or BBC basically saying I have no empathy for Palestinians Um, and then she tried to backpedal said no I didn't say no empathy I said I had no sympathy but she did say I had no I have no empathy um 
and so for me the 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 the, the tissue that connects Robbie Williams, international pop star, in his mansion in L.A., and Israel, and Israeli and Israeli foreign policy in Palestine, is this this inability to escape the wound, um, and I think that that's I think I just think that that's so I think that's so profoundly human. Um, and terribly sad um, I don't find it hard to understand uh, but it's you know it's the ultimate sort of it leads to the ultimate sort of self-preserving behaviour which usually involves completely shutting everybody else out when you can only focus on self um, at the expense of all other relationships, uh, you know, virtually all other relationships. Um, I mean, I, I recognize that impulse. I recognize that, that, that sort of, That breakdown of of trust or or faith in everyone else. <laughs> I understand, you know. I I can I kind of recognise the germ of that feeling, where I just want to close the door on the world and go. I'll just be here with my my wife and daughter, and we'll survive, and everyone else can go to hell <laughs> but that's um, you know that's uh, that's extreme isn't it and so I think there's a there's a middle ground where you can just kind of do that on occasion and it's lovely <laughs> and then get back out in the world and engage with other people with fellow travellers um, through this through this ongoing challenge um this thing that we call existence and your know, life in the 21st century um, but I think um, yeah what, what, what I was thinking about one, one final thought on this I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up soon enough I think one final thought on this um I mean, it's okay. Like the, the idea of the originating wound, the defining wound. I, I, I really do believe that's in a lot of us, um, and it's our. It's a great challenge, I think, for any individual to overcome that wound. And I mean, last week I spoke about Sylvester Stallone, and clearly his great wound was having an abusive father, a violent father. And a father who was competitive with him and pushed him away and always tried to keep him down and dominate him. And um that's a you know, that's that's very, very strong stuff. Um and I, I did come across this um online recently. Um a psychologist, a female psychologist, I was speaking about her 
recently enough on the on the podcast and she was talking about the you know the 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 power of the father wound when a father is a damaging element in one's life how destructive that is to somebody's psyche to their self-worth their 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 self-identity um and it's um you know it's a huge thing that that was specifically to do with you know fathers but i think in general many of us feel that there's a you know an originating wound and i mean i can certainly go back in my life and think of certain episodes or moments with different people where i was really you know hurt or you know rejected or you know offended or you know made you know made to feel small um and i don't have to i don't have to kind of travel far in my mind to go oh yeah and i remember that vividly <laughs> and you know it's easy to kind of still to still access uh you know an angry response to that um and you know access my sort of indignation and maybe even uh, a desire for revenge um but i sort of recognize it for 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 what it is um and i try to kind of contextualize it and go okay well that's where i was then that wouldn't hit me in the same place now and you know for that i'm grateful because that's recovery that's progress that's perspective it's experience it's maturation um and it's also peacemaking um and making peace with that part of myself the hurt part of myself the angry part of myself i mean and that does return us to the middle east um and you can only make peace by seeking it uh, and you can't seek peace by bombing the shit out of people and bombing children and you know that is not that is not the avenue to peace peace has to be you know it has to be sought by non-violent means um again something that i brought up earlier uh you know this year in another episode you know you've got to leave your weapons outside it's like the old wild west saloon leave your guns at the door you're coming in here to sit down and, and you know try and relax um yeah, but one thing I was thinking, one other aspect of this that I was thinking about regarding the idea of the the you know the, the public face, the the forward facing um, persona, the forward facing aspect of ourselves. If the distance between our private self and our public self is too great I think that's a very perilous dynamic if you have to travel so far from let's call it your real self your authentic self if you have to travel really far from there to get to the person that walks out the door to get to the person that interacts with other people in a work environment a social environment getting out and about in the world environment that's about as broad a definition as you can get if that journey is so far 
it's I think there's an inherent fragility to it and I think it's a fragility that has to bear a terrible burden it's a fragility that has to bear the the burden of functionality is the word that's coming to mind I don't think that's quite what I mean but the burden of presenting a version of yourself that you think is going to be the most successful in the world Um, and if that persona or that version of yourself is really really far away from how you truly feel about yourself that's that's going to create conflict it's going to create tension and it's going to create i think unbelievable levels of fatigue as you revert from one to the other that journey back and forth is going to be absolutely enervating it's going to wring every drop of energy out of you in a very existential way um and my the sort of the wellness principle i take from that and i have iterated this before in one form or another the wellness principle i take away from that is the closer you can bring those two selves together the more confident you'll be because there's no disparate selves there's no separation so the closer you can be to the private self you know if hopefully you're comfortable with the private self i mean that's where you know you might need to do work you might need to seek the help of a professional you might need to really go well hold on my private self is you know an absolute disaster <laughs> if I'm, you know my, my private self means i have to step out in the world and just be you know totally i don't know you know vulnerable raw naked but see there's great there's great strength to be taken from that if you can find the courage if it's safe to do so i'm not saying don't be safe i mean tread carefully you know move carefully mind yourself hold yourself carefully but you know if things are as bad as that seek help i think is the you know is part of that solution but ultimately we want to be able to step out and go no this is who i am and this is how i am and this is how i'm going to be and and this is the fundamental part i'm good with this i'm good with this who i am and i'm happy to present this wherever i go and if you can do that within no you know normal modes and norms of 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 social behavior of workplace behavior i think that's a recipe for real 
strength and clarity of of living um and that's you know i i i i fail constantly but that's sort of my own personal aspiration is to to try to live that way where you know wherever i am and who you know whomever i'm with that's 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 you know what you're getting is what everyone else is getting um but as i say i mean it's you know that's i fail at that constantly in you know in different ways but you know i'm not a million miles away from it and that just might be to do with i don't know i I don't think it is to do with age i mean like that's not that's not accidental that's conscious and practiced um and habitual you know and it's a reason i can do this it's a reason i can sit at this mic once a week and produce this show this tell and speak about the things i speak about in a way that i i believe is authentic and intelligible and relatable and occasionally insightful i'm not saying there all the time but maybe sometimes um and part of that to come back to the idea of conflict and resolution part of that is I've been quite successful at making peace with myself and you know that's a form of acceptance that's accepting the existence of conflict and that's inviting in internalized forgiveness because because of course the you know the the the, the damaged child <laughs> and I think many of us I said this last week as well, I think. I think many of us do feel we are damaged children. But the damaged child always feels like they've done something wrong and that they've failed and that they're not good enough. Um, and so to forgive, to forgive the judging internal voice that accompanies that sense of inadequacy is is a huge part of succeeding as an adult and i think as i as i near ever closer to my 50th birthday i think i consider myself an adult now in life (laughs) i have for a while i'm only joking okay listen that's it that's all i've got that's all i've got uh today um i hope uh i hope this this journey was okay for the past hour um i hope it gave you something to think about i hope i hope it chimed with you on some level um because i do i do hope that the the podcast is is relatable i hope it you do yeah i hope when you do listen you go yeah that makes sense or i feel that too um because if it's not doing that i don't know if there's much point in it 
because um, it's not meant to be just me licking myself for an hour on the mic. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like a like a cat. Yeah, just um, just put the mic there. I'm just gonna clean myself for an hour. This is gonna be gold. <laughs> I taste amazing. Okay, I'm gone. Have um, have a lovely week. I'll be back next week with something else. And um, you'll find various bits and pieces on social media. Um, the the receptive mind mindfulness and energy flow positivity classes breathwork classes i've been postponed for a week so they were meant to be starting uh well at the time this comes out they were meant to be starting yesterday but they're going to be starting on november the 22nd um that's a wednesday that'll be wednesday of next week 11 a.m at camerino bakery in Emma, the irish museum of modern art in kilmainham and that's a drop-in class come in for an hour do some breath work with me some energy management some energy flow uh, i guarantee you you will feel better on the other side of it so um keep an eye out for that on social media and you know if you're in that area come in do a class do a session um say hello and i'll be delighted to have you there and yeah otherwise just keep an eye on social media i'm in all the usual places um if you really enjoy this thing that i do you can support me on patreon that's patreon.com forward slash the clear out and for the price of a cup of coffee a cup of tea a sandwich a pint you can support this and validate it and i'd be really grateful for that kind of validation as well as just nice things being said and shared uh commented upon rated reviewed you can do all that stuff as well so that's it i will talk to you next week thank you so much for listening i really appreciate you spending this time with me stay safe uh stay mindful stay peaceful for god's sake stay peaceful if you can be peaceful with yourself and yes as always mind yourselves i'll talk to you soon cheers bye (laughs)